SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezo Mabete on SAFM. Good evening. Welcome to SAFM. Uh, good evening, Songhezo. Good evening to your listeners. Uh, thank you for inviting me to the SA- SAFM Viewpoint. Thank you for accepting my invitation. It's been a while since we last met outside the lunch we enjoyed yesterday as we just sought to go through today's program and I appreciate the indulgence and the respect that you have offered the SAFM community in so being prepared to talk to us about these issues. But first things first, as discussed earlier on, let's let's have a conversation, just even a short introduction in relation to the overview of the structure of the healthcare industry. And in that overview, where do I, as an ordinary person, fit into this entire matrix, which really, for the most part, for me, is a maze? Yeah, thank you very much. I think the just to to start off is that there are three main objectives you've covered uh, in terms of discussion today, but it's really to help uh, our listeners understand the structure of this supposedly complex health ecosystem both in private and public sector. This is an important uh, foundation for patient empowerment, which of course, it's about starting the discussion as a second point. And of course, as you said, if we we, we, we get more time, we can look at trends globally. But um, the health ecosystem, I won't go into too much detail, except that it's actually cut up into three parts. Uh, the health provision, what the economists call the supply side. These are health professionals, health establishments like your clinics, hospitals, and uh, both public and private hospitals, of course. Uh, The second arm is that of products. Some basically uh, lump it with part of provision. These are medicines and medical devices. it's quite broad what's in there. Everything from a small uh, sort of machine just to test your, your hemoglobin or as large as the, the MRI scan and everything in between. And then the third arm is that on the funding side or the demand side. If you're paying for your, for your own care, that's you. You are self-funding. It could be insurance, medical schemes, Government uh, plays both on the provision and on the the payer side. Uh, We talk about the national health insurance in future. There are other government agencies that pay for healthcare, like the road accident fund, compensation fund. Of course, there are regulators and industry association for all of these. Uh, This classification is, is more historic, but to be fair, as the the business models evolve, the lines are getting blurred by the by the year as it were. Now, uh, this is, there are some uh, unique features that I want to, to quickly go through from the health sector's perspective. Access to healthcare is a human right, essentially everywhere on earth. Uh, for that, it's highly regulated, including its pricing, but um, this is not a bad thing. You want to know the professional who sees you has met certain standards of proficiency. And given that you really only have one chance at life, uh, you want to know that the medicines uh, that you take have been tested, 
and found to be good in terms of standard, in terms of quality, uh, where they are manufactured, and of course, uh, the effectiveness thereof. Uh, the other point is that all seven and a half billion of us are users of healthcare. It may be a different type of healthcare, but we all are. Uh, some will never have to buy tires or computers, but for the majority of us, uh, we this is the industry in which into which we born when we arrive, and more likely the one we'll see on our way out. So the point is. It's significant, 100% market globally. And then the third main point is the, the asymmetry of information. And this is basically the fact that if you are a member of the public who's not trained in this field, you'll never really know more than the person who's cheating you. Uh, that is not necessarily a bad thing. It, the difference is that, of course, that person is also your agent whose income is sometimes tied to what they prescribe. That has obviously implications uh, at various levels. Now, that is really the highlight, high level overview. Uh, we can go uh, deep if we like, but uh, as I said, I just want to move on to patient empowerment uh, yeah. with your permission. Yeah, basically why do I feel that it's important to talk about patient empowerment today? Uh, because this is an industry that's defined by agents uh, right across. I've touched on the clinical care where your practitioner is your agent at some level, but also on the financing side. The financing side is just as complex too. I mean, if you are a medical scheme member, you know that there are so many schemes to choose from and even more options to choose from. So that's where your your agent in the form of a broker will assist you. And then, of course, it's very important that we talk about empowerment of patients because this is likely when a practitioner is working with an empowered patient, as it were, uh, there is a high likelihood that both parties will achieve uh, the health goals that they set for, for the patient to benefit from. Now, are we ready for patient empowerment? And uh, I say we are. And this is really based on, on three main points I want to make. One, the Del uh, Deloitte runs consumer surveys. And I think uh, the one I'm familiar with is as far back as 2016 and 2019. But what is clear is that globally, patients are, are no longer sitting, sitting back but they are actively interested in what they must do to stay healthy and what they need to ask or expect when they interact with the sector as a patient. The, the second point really is about, I'd like you to think about this. Uh, your phone there with you now, you have a banking app with all your banking history, mm. your credit score, whatever transactions you've had in the past. Uh, some people's cars have apps when they're sitting in the lounge, they can see how many liters of, liters of fuel are in the tank, the mileage they can get when the next service is due. Why wouldn't we want this for our lives? Provided, of course, all security and privacy requirements are met, 
Why wouldn't we want this for something as important as life? Let me interrupt. Uh, you. Just to take it to take it away from theory. Where's your health data right now? Yeah, that that's the question I wanted to engage. I mean, and I've got some three minutes before we have to take an ad break. To the extent no. that our health data is somewhere and we are more and more in the position as you had said earlier on to be in more control for instance i know that many ladies can track their menstrual cycle that is health data that essentially is an app away some can even monitor their pregnancy in terms of when the baby is due what the heart rate is sitting at and whatever else that is necessary for a mother of an unborn child to know in between, of course, making visits to the gynecologist and related hospitals. But generally speaking, I, as a man, certainly do not have access to those two um, cycles in relation to my body and my health. The question then has to be, how can we use technology to bridge ultimately the information asymmetry? Technology has been proven in many other sectors and in industries to be a source of information, and therefore it unlocks all of those rights or it realizes all of those rights that otherwise technology can grant one access to. Your earlier concession was health is a universal health right the world over. Why then would technology be as slow or not as efficient, if that's the case, in relation to bridging the question of information asymmetry and giving Songhez or his material, his data, his information readily available to him? Why should I go to Discam? to buy something only for Discam to ask me for my ID number and they've got everything else in relation to the transactions I've had with them. Or if I go to a clinic, they know the last time I visited a hospital was on this date at this place. I'm asking the question to you. Why is the medical fraternity not allowing me to access readily all of that information that ultimately is mine? Yeah, I think that's that's that, that's the main part of, of what we need to to talk about because we know the technology can do this, but healthcare has a history of being a, a laggard in terms of applying technology. It has been said that the internet has missed uh, healthcare. Of course, it's not about that. Doesn't refer to the interventional high-level technology. We now have a vaccine in less than twelve months since the the virus was first sequenced in determining its genome. So that level of technology is there. But in terms of health data, that's where we have problems. It's in silos and some industry players are actually incentivized in terms of their business model being really about data in silos. But that is why this needs to move to where the patient sits with the practitioner next to them, because as you said, it still is asymmetrical. But I'm very much encouraged about what I call the COVID effect. Never before has the public had open discussions about esoteric medical concepts like clinical trials, vaccines, immunity, AstraZeneca. Uh, we see that. We hear that every day. Mm. We mustn't lose the interest in taking it further. Let me interrupt but you there. Let me interrupt you there because I have to take an ad break there, Dr. Bengu. And just for the listeners who have joined us, it's now 20 past. Dr. Ntutuko Bengu, founder and executive chairperson, Alchemy Health Technologies, is talking to us about patient interface with the South African health system, particularly focusing on patients and how they can exercise ultimately more control of their information as it pertains to their 
their health, therefore be more in control of their health. The COVID effect is the point from which the conversation after the break will depart. On SAFM. We're in conversation with medical expert and practitioner Ntutu Kobengu about how technology could play potentially an even bigger role in South Africa's healthcare sector, but more importantly, patient interface with South African healthcare system, therefore exercising more control over their lives in the realm of health. The departure point before the ad break was the COVID effect in realizing the value of patients, me and you, exercising more control, being more curious in relation to the healthcare system, the healthcare industry, matters of public importance and public affairs, all in the context of healthcare and how as an individual one is affected and where one fits in the matrix. Bengu, please continue. Thank you so much for joining us still. Yes, no, thank you very much. Yeah, the, the, the point is that the interest is, is there. Uh, maybe it took something that shakes us so much as COVID for us to start to wanting to know more. But as Deloitte says in other parts of the world, this has been a, vis- a visible shift. We just probably need to ask how far we are uh, or how far we're lagging. At Alchemy Health Technologies, I was about to say that we are about management of health data and we believe the patient health sector and public sector will be strengthened by empowered users. And it starts with patients working closely with their practitioners and managing their health information. Health data is being um, collected, uh, analytics done, but the glaring areas of weakness is precisely the question that I was asking, do you yourself have any of your information readily available in one place securely when you need it? Not really. Even at the next level of health practitioner uh, side, of course, when I say healthcare miss the internet or vice versa, a lot of practitioners uh, still uh, have yours and my notes in handwritten form somewhere in the cupboard. Now, uh, they clearly, one other positive of COVID has been, um, it has been the, the, the most influential driver of adoption of technology by practitioners. And this is good to see, especially when it comes to teleconsultations. And uh, so there is hope that this will, will, will continue to unfold as we, as we go along. And uh, this is really about data being uh, available to the patient from basically at every instance that they interact with the health sector and be able to share it with any practitioner they want to share it with, even for a limited period of time, uh, in a manner that is able to enrich the entire industry. Uh, Our funders, the industry that has uh, the the richest uh, sort of data is more the medical scheme industry. It still can provide better analytics to give us cheaper or less expensive care if all elements were there. It's driven mainly right now by financial information, really, which is basically uh, you're submitting your claim, it gets paid. But the clinical data that is really only the preserve of practitioners Mm and their patients is largely missing. And that's the gap that all parties need to get around and fix for for the patient ultimately. Sure. But again, yes. 
No, hang, hang on on the question of the gap because I'm going to talk to the how that gap is being exploited by particularly medical schemes. Exploited not in the perverse sense, but exploited for the purposes of generating huge amounts of money on essentially my and your data. Algorithms are now giving us behavioral patterns that medical schemes are using to incentivize us to continue remaining healthy such that they don't on the back end then be exposed for the costs that they otherwise would be exposed to if you and I were not healthy. So the question of how data is being mined and engineered for the purposes of creating these incentives for us to remain healthy, thus slowing, if you like, our usage of healthcare facilities and products. Let's take a call. We've got a gentleman who's a regular on the show. He's calling from Hroblesdal tonight. KGM, good evening. Good evening, uh, Songezo. Good evening to your guests and to the listeners. Um, Songezo, on the point that you just made, that, that was going to be precisely what I want to talk about. Let, let me expand it because you've already touched on it. Yes. Um, we, we have this challenge as, as the black folk, and I'm not being racial. We, we get excited by being appointed into predominantly white companies. They give us titles. And we talk we, when we are actually representing uh, white monopoly capital. Now, we have this knowledge of what, for instance, in the medical industry, I'm in the financial services sector, and it's very aligned because it's part of the financial sector, as your guest has just said. We we fail to use this and and in, in turn blame medical aid insurance companies, whatever service providers, that has been in existence for many years for exploiting an opportunity presented to them by us because we are lazy, we are quite happy with anything and everything that they put before us. Here's a solution as a parting shot. Now, I run a financial services company. We are an FSP, just like FNB, just like Old Mutual and any other FSP in this country. Your, your guest, as a professional, what is it that they are doing in the medical aid uh, space to put together a relevant black, um, for a lack of a better word, black favorable medical scheme that will talk to the socioeconomic conditions, including the numbers of blacks in this country, so that when we talk exploitation, it should at least be exploitation harm, harnessing the already amassed resources from multinationals, bringing them to the benefit of the members that we have. Not just getting excited because we've got uh, uh, some app or some, some uh, uh, facility that puts the numbers and we talk about conveniency. Conveniency can never be and should never be at our expense as customers. Fantastic. So, Thanks for taking my call. Thank you so much. I think I heard in large part the role and responsibility of the Board of Trustees of Medical Aids, particularly the principal officers, in ensuring the interests of their membership, perhaps even contemplating their socioeconomic conditions. Your response to that, Dr. Bengu? Yeah, no, thank you. I think the, the, the main point is that the, the funding of healthcare. Uh, as I said, you either self-insure or you can buy the uh, the health insurance products 
largely hospital only, but most of private care is funded through the medical scheme industry, which is governed by the Medical Schemes Act, regulated by the Council for Medical Schemes. Now, the, the, the issue of benefit structure is not defined in terms of race, but uh, it's largely uh, based on affordability. The Act does provide protections against being risk rated and, and, and sort of uh, uh, allocated uh, product and, and rates based on your vulnerability health-wise. So that, that's not so much a, a big issue. Now, whether this uh, could be extended to say, how do you craft one for this or that race, that that can't work. It can only be on affordability. Uh, but in terms of protections to make sure that the, the, the conditions that need to be covered, whether it's propensity um, for a funder to maybe not want to cover, the protection comes through the Council for Medical Schemes. Uh, the, the prescribed minimum benefits being the tightest uh, in that it compels any medical scheme to pay for the services uh, that are related to that medical condition. Uh, so the, the, the issue, I, I don't know, it, it was more comments from the caller. Uh, I'm not sure what it is, but except that uh, when we talk about pro-black products, it can really be more uh, about let, let, let me... in South Africa, obviously there is a racial element in terms of of, of of degrees of wealth or poverty, but it can't be purely based on on race. Here's what I wish to say, if you like, in the thinking that was espoused in large measure by KGM. What has the system, healthcare system, done to transform? the healthcare outcomes of the largely black population in relation to the fact that the institutions, particularly the private institutions, were largely built not with a black person in mind, and to the extent that it is built with a black person in mind, it does not truly represent, if you like, the interests or contemplate everything else that ought to be contemplated in and of that largely black consumer or customer base. He then went on to say that we have seen window dressing in the healthcare space where people occupy prominent positions either as hospital CEOs or particularly in the funding space as principal officers or even in the administrator space as CEOs there. But little of the transformation that is necessary is not taking place. I mean, you were at the health marketing inquiry. You heard especially a lot of practitioners saying the structure of the usage of the facilities, hospitals, that is, and rooms, and access to devices, times, space, all of that follows skewed lines, which they as practitioners interpret to follow racial lines. The report recently released by advocate Ngai Tobi SC speaks to some of the systemic issues that are predicated on racial division. The question then has to be, when the largely black community of South Africa, who are the buying power, who are the ones who are in, who rather established this demand, particularly in the buyer space. 
When can we see, for instance, a successful rival to Discovery, a successful rival to Bonitas? Why could we not see, for instance, GEMS, who are largely its membership African, being a leader and not a purveyor of the evils that are seen in the space? Yeah, I think the issue of um, leaders or leadership uh, or black management in these organizations is really not different to any sector in terms of appointment. The industry itself, when one sort of, if you were to do a headcount, I have seen it uh, change to be led by 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 largely black and, and successful individuals. The question, of course, on a broader scale, not just in this industry, it's one thing to have black leaders, but the question is, is uh, the, the, the type of leadership transformative. Now, um, I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to, to discuss uh, the Section 59 report by Advocate Toby. Uh, and uh, the panel, simply because it's live. Uh, this is the period where comments need to, to be made. Safe to say industry has come out clearly uh, that uh, they, there is no intentional bias, though there may be that the results are such that black practitioners are, are, are basically negatively impacted on a racial basis. That, okay. That's all I now, purely because it's not a final report, it's a provisional report. Fine. We are looking to wrap up because we have all of three minutes in what has felt like five minutes of discussion. Let's talk about technology, how technology can be that very necessary bridge in allowing Songhezo to be more responsible, to interface better, to ask appropriate questions, and as a result of all of that, be more empowered to take full responsibility and even control advisedly used the word control of his healthcare and thus engage the healthcare practitioner or service provider in the healthcare space from a position of power as opposed to being a position of simply to receive and without engaging. Yeah, that's exactly the, the point of, of my discussion, that the technology that is there. It's a question of uh, adoption by uh, uh, patients who need to take uh, charge of of what needs to to be done, what they need to understand, the technology is there, it's gradually being availed. And the point is that we need to kill the silos. And uh, even within the context of, of, of privacy, it is possible for it to be shared across different practitioners or with hospitals in the interest of the of the patient. Um, so that is, 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 is not a difficult thing to, to, to sort of achieve, provided the willingness is there to participate. And um, my view is that for too long, uh, the blame can lie at different levels. First of all, as again, patients tend to really outsource completely the issues of their healthcare, maybe to their medical schemes, maybe to their doctor, and unless they are required to do this, maybe they, 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 they really would not be. Surely this doesn't apply to everybody. I did say that from the practitioner side, we need to sort of digitize because in terms of the trends that are emerging, all of the issues that need to be addressed in the industry point to data management, 
and digital transformation and, and interoperability of this industry. And it's probably the biggest thing in terms of what has not happened to the extent it should be happening so far. But that's not only a South African problem, it's a global pro- problem. And that's why I, I, I thank you too for wanting to have this discussion because the point is what now needs to be done to, to push us uh, to the path. I gave examples of what we are doing in other parts of, of the world. Now, in 2016, so allow me to say this because in Yeah, you have one minute, sure. I had the good fortune of attending um, in a, a health conference specifically about uh, uh, digital in the US. And one of the speakers was a former, at the time he was the American Medical Association and basically acknowledged that uh, practitioners themselves for too long have been uh, to blame in not adopting technology, but they had changed and uh, were working with the, the Apples, the Googles to, stra- to start making it easy for them to adopt technology and work with their patients. And the analogy he used was that uh, they want to be where the health, sorry, where the, the airline industry is in relation to them and tech companies. They'd say, tech company, you can't see my patients and I can't code. Why can't we work together like the airline industry where an airline passenger would be very uncomfortable to get into aircraft where either technology or the pilot is not there. So that for me is is the attitude I'm hoping that uh, we will improve on. And as I said, the COVID where practitioners have needed to, to manage the number of patients in their rooms and avoid unnecessary yeah, yeah, contact. Yeah, I've got you. Give it the, 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 the telemedicine part of it. So we just need to continue pushing. And of course, hospital groups... Dr. Bengo, before you continue that point, I think I have run out of time. We will have to probably consider engaging you in a different context altogether because some of the points that you have raised have previously been raised by a guest who was as passionate. Of course, I'm talking to... I mean, I'm talking about Dr. Josile Tlape. He is as passionate about the sense of empowerment and some of the things that need to happen in changing, of course, the systems of healthcare in the country. So perhaps, and this is something I have to canvas internally, a Tuesday takeover between you and him might just serve a better purpose than me engaging you as I have been. But for now, for your time, sir, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Patient interface, a discussion with Dr. Ndutu Gobengu, health I mean, Alchemy Health Technologies founder and executive chairperson.